Guten Tag. Is that a... It's terrible. Is that what's, a word? What does it what's mean? What's worse is that we already did one of these and it, we weren't recording and you did that and I thought we learned a lesson and you we came back with we it. We didn't learn a lesson. With another one. I felt like saying it Guten again. Tag. You're listening to uh, an American history podcast called The Dollop. Each week, I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend... Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. Really? Yeah, for the most part. I don't know what the topic is. Okay. I guess that's Sorry, how... did you think you were at a different podcast? I guess or... that's how we're going to do it. How... God, you want a little hit of dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. Um, Gary, Gareth, uh, Gareth. And by the way, the name Gary is. Yeah, I know. Oh, hey, I'm by sad. the way, I'm if sad. anyone could send me a link to that oh, story boy. on Twitter, that'd be fantastic. Boy, really, if any of the people who listen, it's really angry. This one, Gary, dude. 1784 brought the earliest trade relations of Americans with China. Oh. In 1815. The first Chinese person visited America, a ship's cook. The first Chinese person visited America? That's what they, that's, that's, the, I mean, that's makes, the record. That's the recorded record. This makes the, sense, but I, I mean, there is, there is some, there are some people who believe that the, the, the Chinese came over here. Discovered you know, it. Before Columbus, Columbus was like the eighth guy. Let's be Whoa, honest. whoa, whoa, buddy. The Vikings Back drove the fuck here off. first. What? Yeah, Bullshit. there were a lot of people rolling through this. He bit. found a passage. He was looking for a passage to India, bro. I'm really tired. 1492. I'm tired. Yeah, a Chinese man was named Anam, and he served as, as as Governor Pablo Sola's cook in Monterey, and then he was baptized Antonio Maria de Jesus. <laughs> so, oh, hello. Just to just to clarify, a Chinese guy came here. Mm -hmm. He had his own religion. Yep. They were like, no, you can't do that. Baptized him and named him Antonio Maria de Jesus. So now, they really fucked with that guy. Why did they go? Why did they go that route? Why did they not go more like Yankee Doodle Dandy name? Was it just I was think, it based no, on? I, I think then I think 1815. I think it was still Mexican territory. Oh, OK. Yeah. Uh, in 1848 came the first importation of Chinese laborers to uh, California, then the gold rush. The uh, Chinese laborers were imported for railroad building in the West. More than 322,000 Chinese came between 1815 and 1882. Jesus. Uh, and that's when railroad construction began. They basically laid all the fucking railroad right. in America. Yeah. That was their deal. In 1882, the Exclusion Act was passed. By Congress, barring further immigration, and was extended until 1924. So between barring no immigration and 1924, no, just not no immigration, just no no, no Chinese Chinese. <laughs> was it because it made them sleepy after they ate? <laughs> the Chinese Exclusion Act was upheld by the Supreme Court, showing, giving more proof that our Supreme Court is full awesome. of fucking shit. Oh, sorry, you finish. The Sacramento Daily Union, August 12, 1854. 
quote, upon what ground it can be assumed that we are bound to admit Chinamen to exercise the right of landing upon our shores by the thousands and then go where they please and engage in any business they please with no questions asked. We are under no national or individual obligation to do so. Whoa. (laughs) I mean... So they're just going to come here and walk around and look at stuff? What, they think that they can be like us who came here whoa, and whoa, took whoa, this whoa, place? Whoa, 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 They can eat and not answer questions why? They get to open up stores and have businesses like their people. Oh, I'm so mad. Alta Daily, California. That is a San Francisco paper. August 20th, 1854. Capitalized. Appalling! <laughs> Wednesday last over, 1,200 Chinese have landed in this city. Should they continue to arrive at this rate, the majority of the inhabitants of this state will be Chinese, an outcome not devoutly to be wished. (laughs) Man, the paper is great. You just put that in the paper. Yeah. You just put it in the the paper. The paper really is the the best way to get a sense of what the time was like. Oh, it really is. (laughs) Just just horrible. Horrible, vicious. Yeah. We have before called the attention of the people and the authorities of San Francisco to the fact that cholera was spreading over the United States. Among all the varying opinions held by medical men in regard to the nature of cholera, all agreed that one of the most effectual precautions is cleanliness. Some portions of our city are now disgustingly filthy, particularly in those portions of the city occupied by Chinese. We find filth of every description, emitting odors peculiar to Chinese filth and Uh, garbage. There we go. There it is. There's the weird specific. (laughs) Should cholera reach here and get among these people, we fear that our pure air would not be sufficient to stay the progress of the disease. We ought to have had had long ago some systematic manner in cleaning the streets of this city. Now it's once or twice a year when the mud and filth become so deep as to render the streets impassable. The street commissioner appears to wake from his long drows, and we find huge range of mud mountains lining our street. The street commissioner, huh? We hope, uh, uh, we hope that, uh, particularly in the Chinese section of the city, the ordinances in relation to public cleanliness be strictly enforced. Sure. Hose down the Chinese. It's just... <laughs> um, okay, so a lot of Chinese came here, and because... Uh, they were unfamiliar with the economics and cultures and custom of America. Oh, those right. stupid fucks. A number of societies were created. Some of them originally from the old country that they brought here. And they emerged to facilitate their survival in this new world. Family associations, which admitted to membership, all having the same surname. Okay. And merchant companies called Huigans rose to prominence. Okay. All right. So they're basically, they came over here. They, clearly, Americans are being dicks. So, so they have they to sort of set up their own shop. Sure, which makes sense. The most powerful groups were the benevolent associations established initially to give help to newly arrived immigrants and represent all their members in negotiations with white authorities. In Chinatowns across America, they provided hostels or rooming houses, acted as bankers, gave legal advice. Uh, settled disputes between members, and gave jobs to many of them. So there was a large measure of self-government within the communities, though this was unofficial. At the top of the power structure in California were several associations that formed what was called the Six Companies. (laughs) Okay. 
Then there were the tongs, a word literally meaning meeting hall. Some were incarnations of criminal triad gangs originating in China. Other tongs were less ominous, organized among smaller family groups to defend themselves against the oppression of larger family groups. Okay. It's bad to be from a small family, I yeah, guess. Yeah, so, but, okay, so that's tough. Still, other, I think it's tribal. I mean, I think the name thing is tribal. It just sounds tribal to me. That's like so they, strange, they, though, in they, a world, like, you would just imagine that they would just be very inclusive. You would think so, but I think it would be even better if they went by the first name, so it was like a bunch of Jeffs. Or a bunch of friends. <laughs> Which tongue are you in? The Steves. Yeah. Uh, still- Come on, Steves. Let's get out of here. We're going to fight the Marks tonight. <laughs> still other tongs were largely uh, trade associations or workers' guilds. Now, the tongs were secret societies, and not a great deal is publicly known about them. The Ill- illegal activities with which they were created may well have been exaggerated by the press, who exploited them as another reason for condemning the Chinese. Right. Okay. There were some the free media. There were some 50 such tongs in San Francisco, many of them with links across the American continent and overseas. The tong took control of vice rings like gambling, prostitution, drug traffic, and ran protection rackets. Okay. Thus, to some extent, they resembled the Italian mafia, and the tongs often fought each other for control. These foolish tongs. Can't we all just get a tong? Hey. It's weird that this is what this is the word for what you use to get salad. Yeah, yeah, what you flip your meats with on a grill. A, to- a Chicago historian writes: a white patronized, ethnic-staffed vice industry developed in the Chinese community. White patronage probably doubled the volume of prostitution in Chinatown. Well, there we go. So why do you like to fuck a Chinese yeah, lady? Yeah, and again, that is like so. Yeah, you can How can you? You can't. You can't starve this problem. These horrible, horrible people. <laughs> That always our city that what I like it? to put my dick in. Why is it always that? It's, it's always like the the height of racism, but still like, oh, but we'll, we'll fool the I mean, women. We'll fuck the women. We'll fuck the women. I mean, fuck we'll the fuck the women. Are you kidding me? They have no rights. There's nothing good about them. They're less but than us. God. But my God. Oh, boy. But my God, do oh, they turn my crank. Oh they really get me cooking. I don't, did they say turn their crank? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like starting the car. Turn that crank. From the California Illustrated Magazine... 1892, these secret societies in California have grown of late to gigantic proportions. 20 or more societies have established a reign of terror in San Francisco that has become insufferable. Assassination and acts of violence are occurring with a frequency that startles even California. (laughs) All right. Just a little edge to that one. All right. Even these lunatics are a little worried. We get it. Yeah, even the nuts of California. Men are shot down in broad daylight, and, and the murderer usually escapes. The Chinese consulate and the six companies want to see the tongs crushed. The present condition of affairs must not be allowed, and yet how the police are to suppress the, the society under our laws is a problem. The Chinese government has been unable to cope with these secret societies in China, and so it is hardly to be expected that the police of San Francisco, yeah, with their hands tied by, by constitutional law, should be meet with better success i think they're saying there that the police should have to follow the law yes what they are That's saying what, what they're inferring there yes is that if the law didn't get it in the way who we could probably figure this out but now that the law is important yes if we boil it down this sentence says we could take care of the chinese problem if there weren't the fucking laws yes yeah. so you pick the soldiers of the tongs the ones who did the fighting were known as 
high binders. Interesting. Because of the long ponytail they wore bound to the top of their head. They were also known as hatchet men. Hmm. I wonder how one gets that nickname. (laughs) Harper's Weekly, February 1886. The hatchet men are usually outlaws. Even the best of the Chinese have small regard for human life. All right. Wait, even the best of the Chinese? (laughs) Harper's Weekly... You which, can't write an article I, about the hatchet man and just be like, yeah, I mean, it's just like a fucking Chinese. I mean, all Chinese people don't care about human yeah. life. I it's mean, these guys will have hatchets and they will murder you. What is it with the Chinese? They don't care about humanity. <laughs> Period. <laughs> After we wrote an article highlighting one sect. Even the best of the Chinese have a small regard for human life as their laws tolerate the purchase of a substitute by a wealthy criminal condemned to execution. And the compromise of a murder by a money payment to the relatives of the victim. Wait, what? What does that mean? I think I think that I think what it's saying is is that under Chinese law at this time, you could buy you could pay someone to be executed for you. <laughs> Which sounds kind of cool. What's strange? Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that in a second, DA. What is? But it is strange that. They have their own laws. So, the Chinese, yeah. So yeah, they've they carved their out law. their own little. Well, they they were. If they've you're succeeded. Not, if you're not allowed into society, true. You, this is what's happening in France with the. Yeah, well, this the is Arabs the problem right with exclusion. Yeah, yeah. But, um, okay. Trained yeah. in this way, the high binder is as reckless of human life as the slave-hunting Arab of the Sudan. Well, we we're go. just covering all the different Ooh, people right go. now. We're going after everybody. Is this like, is there like, do they get like a bonus if they pop like the like through 10 racist inferments? <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're in the green. The cheapness in which human life is held by these people is a constant marvel. Jesus Christ. Cool, cool, cool. I mean, this is a paper. You used to eat cereal and just be like, oh, goddamn uh, Chinese, no, they're right. just like these wild Arabs. The highbinder was almost beyond the grasp of American law. The police could not do anything to find wanted highbinders in the closed society of Chinatown. When they were arrested, they would have scores of witnesses to testify to anything on their behalf. Highbinder Oath, this is from the San Francisco Call in 1899. I swear to, this is their oath. I swear to obey my parents. I swear to obey all the instructions of the headmen of the society. And should I forget my vows, may I within 100 days die by being cut to pieces. Or in the five seas, my flesh floating on the surface and my bones sinking to the bottom. So, okay, that's just for forgetting his vows. That's just for having a bad memory. That's just for forgetting the vows? Yeah, it's a little intense. But the thing is, you're not going to forget those vows. No, no. I, yeah, I would think that would help you remember them. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, no, I remember. You'll cut me into five pieces right. and I'll sink. If I forget this, you'll yeah. uh, cut me into a bunch of pieces. God, I'm sorry. What were the? What was the last part again? I can't. Bones, water. Right, my bones. Oh, fuck. I got to go do it now. Uh, cut them up. The next 99 days are going to be a party, okay? I swear after entering the I swear after entering the Tong to become one of the Tong family and should I see a brother of the Tong family fighting with my twin brother who is not a Tong brother to do all in my power to separate them but to use no violence against my Tong brother. If I break this oath, may my intestines fall out or may thunder strike me or fire burn me to death. 
I mean, the okay, thunder so, strike is what you want out of those ones. So if he doesn't, thunder doesn't if strike. he doesn't break up a fight, he hopes that his intestines fall out between his friend and his twin brother. His intestines fall out. There has to be like a window or something or a hole for your intestines to fall out. Yeah, there's got to be a guy who's out. like, all right, buddy, stand over this wicker basket. This is going to get crazy. All right, take care, man. I also swear that were I to see one of my Tong brothers in the custody of the police or other government officers to do all in my power to rescue him. Oh, boy. Right, that's, yeah, that's oh, boy. Uh-oh. Should I disregard this rule? May 100. You ready? What? May 100 days thunder strike me down dead in the road and may my bones perish in the rivers and seas. You can't. What about just like getting hit on the I'll head? I'll die. What about just, yeah, I'll die. Or just die. simple. Well, lighten and up. And then I'll die. Lighten up. After emptying the tong, I promise not to attempt to raise myself to the position of incense burner until I have obeyed the laws of the tong as handed down to us and given five years of faithful service. You know, the... The incense burner's like, why do I have to be shit on? This is just an oath. I'm just trying to burn some goddamn incense. It smells like musk. Whatever. Should I forget this oath, I expect my brothers to punish me with at least 108 blows. And if I twice forget my solemn promise, may they cut off both my ears. So they're a little intense. The tong, the high, high binders are a little intense. They're... I kind of like their style a little bit. Yeah, I do. They too. really like make you go like, "Don't fuck around." No, don't, don't. Otherwise, you're going to be intestineless with thunder strikes, uh, n- unable to hear because your ears have been cut off. What? Huh? From the L.A. Herald. What? While lieutenant and two policemen were on one side of the street, and two policemen were on the other side, a hatchet man walked up to his victim, an old Chinese merchant, and. Re- Repeatedly plunged a knife 10 inches long into the old man's body. Jesus. This murder was, of course, caught red-handed, but the incident showed that the highbinder was obliged to kill his man without regard for the consequences. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, now I see brought, you guys. You could have waited. He's an old man. But he also could have waited. Exactly. He's minutes. an old man. He's an old man. He's not going anywhere. The getaway, you just, you'll be able to like pinpoint him for five blocks and wait for the cops to all, roll. All you do is lose a good high binder in yeah. that situation. I agree. San Francisco Call, uh, 1899. This is about Fresno. The first really successful fight ever put up by any Tong high binder society was the most disastrous of all. It happened in the old Chinese theater on Jackson Street in the early 70s. I love that it's the 70s. It's yeah. the 1870s. Yeah. The diabolical... <laughs> Things scheme. were crazy there, man. Everyone was at Studio 24. <laughs> the diabolical scheme was evolved in the mind of the chief, chief advisor of Ok Gong Tong. His Catchy. plot was as follows. Certain members of the Tong were to enter the playhouse on a certain night when another rival Tong was to have a festival. These men were to take seats in the balcony, and when the house became well-filled, they were ordered to throw some lighted papers saturated with oil down upon the heads of the audience below in the main portion of the auditorium. Jesus Christ. The result would be a stampede and a general rush for the front door. Yeah, you sure? The hatchet men were to be stationed near the exit. (gasps) These bastards! And carefully watch for the men men with whom the tong had to deal. Incidentally, those who were capable of good light-fingered work were to pick the pockets of the frightened people who were trying to escape. Well, I mean, you're there. I mean, you might as well. You're there. You've made the yeah, trip. You cover both sides. You just the, maybe orphan a couple pick wallets. Pick up some bucks. Whatever. The scheme worked beyond expectation. As soon as the burning paper was thrown from the balcony, there was a wild rush to the front door, the only exit from the building. 
After the first few people had made their escape, the springs with which the big doors were kept closed recoiled, and they flew back into the faces of the next portion of the searching mob. With a fury born of desperation, they forced the doors from the hinges, threw them into the hallway, felling to the floor those who had escaped ahead of them. The result was a bridge over which the crowd rushed, trampling the very lives out of the unfortunate creatures who were in the narrow death trap ahead of them. There was no public morgue in those days, and it was the custom to farm out the privilege of caring for the dead to uh, some enterprising undertaker. Uh, when Can't we just get away from this for one of the dollars? <laughs> <laughs> Feels like the last three have been like, and of course your body's going to be raped by cows. <laughs> when that official arrived at the scene of the disaster, he found 13 cold bodies laid out on the sidewalk. All had been robbed of their valuables. The weapons of the Highbinder oh boy. were uh, all brought from China, with the exception of the hatchet and the pistol. Oh, see, that's fucked up right away. you got to support this country when you're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they had a weapon called the double sword, two swords, each about two feet long, worn in a single sheath. The Highbinders drew these, one in each hand, and chopped his way through a crowd of enemies. A crowd? Yeah. Only Jesus. one side was sharpened, but the blade had a razor edge. An effective weapon for fighting at close quarters was the two-edged knife. The handle was brass, generally richly ornamented, while the blade was of the finest steel. Most of the assassinations in Chinatown used this weapon. One blow would bring a mortal wound. The cleaver used by high binders was... (laughs) We're in gear three. The cleaver used by the high binders was smaller and lighter than the ordinary butcher's cleaver. The Iron Club, about a foot and a half long, was enclosed in a sheath and worn at the side like a sword. The hatchet was American-made, but ground as sharp as a razor. (laughs) Well, all right. As long as they're supporting America a little bit. No, they bought American stuff. Okay. They wore coats of chain mail, heavily padded with layers of rice paper that made it bulletproof. This garment... Well, that's just crazy because the second you know that... You stop hating on them, and you start to adopt that technology. I like these guys so much better than the Italian Mafia. Yeah. Yeah. Bulletproof. Imagine the Sopranos if they're all wearing chain mail. Bulletproof. Yeah. yeah. Imagine bulletproof people in it's 1900. Tremendous. This garment was worn by highbinders when they undertook a particularly dangerous assassination. They also had a leather wristlet. It came halfway up to the elbow, and pieces of iron inserted in the leather served to ward off even a heavy stroke of sword or hatchet okay some pretty good shit so far Is daily more? altadena california june 9th 1854 celestial war celestial was a name for chinese people america called china the celestial empire so See, they call why, them why can't we have more slurs that are kind of like i know it's based nice on right? fact like that it's better than, oh these celestials yeah it's better than oriental or whatever horrible word yeah on Tuesday, my, my uh, I know your grandparents still use. Okay, it. yeah, everyone's grandparents just still wanted to make sure. It's pretty terrific, even when you're out to like having Chinese. Yeah. food, they'll be like, "That was a nice Oriental chef." Yeah, like, no, it's crazy. Sit down and shut your mouth. <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> Could you imagine? They go to Roscoe's. Why oh. enjoy the Negro no! food? Oh, come my, on! My when I was a kid once, my grandmother walked into the room when I was and I had like two buddies over. One was black, and my grandma. We were oh, watching God. a basketball game. My mother, my grandma goes. What did the what did they call those again? It starts with N. I was like, can I talk to you out here? I was like, can I talk to you out here for two minutes? Can we sidebar out here for just two shakes? Talk to you real quick out here, real quick. 
On Tuesday last, the Chinese had a real bonafide battle on our streets. The weapons principally were stones. The number of combatants were over 100, and the casualties about a dozen brokeheads. The victory not decided as the authorities interfered and captured eight of their most valiant fighting men, who were packed up in prison overnight, tried the next day for riot and fined. The affair put about $100 in the town treasury. What? Yeah, well, they made some money off them. They fined them each, so they made about 100 clams. But is that... Yeah, it matters. And the Chinese in this vicinity have at last settled their difficulties, unfortunately, without the loss of a single life. Did you hear that sentence? Yeah, yes. It said, unfortunately, without the loss of a single life. That's a newspaper right, in San Francisco writing about what happened in Fresno. Listen, and it says, unfortunately. Fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. Unfortunately. Fair and balanced. No Chinese people died. Fair and okay. balanced. You just, you're, you've been brainwashed. The San Francisco call of February 9th, 1904. Overconfident Chinese makes unusual request. According to Bret Hart, the fairness, according to Bret Hart, the uh, quote, heathen Chinese is peculiar. But Louis Landong of 322 Commercial Street evidently thinks the powers of the emergency hospital physicians are not only peculiar, but miraculous. Louis appeared at the Central Emergency Hospital yesterday in a badly damaged condition. Three of his fingers and a portion of his hand had been cleanly severed. And the Chinese brought the severed fingers to the hospital faithfully trusting in the ability of the surgeons to reunite them with his person. The attending surgeons informed the man that his digital members were gone forever, but dressed the wounded hand. Owing to the long exposure of the wound, it is feared that blood poisoning may set in. The injured man claims that on Sunday afternoon, a high binder entered his room and attacked him with a hatchet, severing his fingers. Wait, but wasn't that going to be a story about that's a story about a guy coming in without part of his hand gone. Yeah. And saying, can you put this back on? And they went, no. Okay. Did okay. you think I was going to go somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Just a guy who doesn't have any fingers okay. wants him put back on because okay. a hatchet man came into his room and yeah. cut, cut him off. Well, what I also like is how they give out that dude's address. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, in case you want to fucking fuck this dude up. Back door's always open. <laughs> I love, yeah, this was a time when you would put the victim's address in the paper. Big deal. The city, <laughs> the city of San Francisco created a special squad led by Lieutenant William Price to crack down on tongs and high binders. The Chinese consul <laughs> had made the request for the formation of the squad. Lieutenant Price told this story of high binders. One evening, a Chinese butcher in San Francisco threw a little clean water into the street, and a Chinese high binder who was standing nearby got a little of the water on his sleeve. When I had passed by the highbinder, went into the butcher store and demanded $100 as atonement for the offense. I learned of the demand and told the butcher not to pay the money, but to arrange to meet the highbinder at a certain place and I would be there. The butcher promised to do so and I left him. But before I returned to a store, he had paid the $100 out of fear for his life. So he got a little bit of water on a dude. Yeah. And he had to pay 100 clams. Atonement. Which sounds like $10,000 back then. Sure, but still. Fair. At one time, Lieutenant Price took 16 men in uniform, and with axes, they destroyed the rooms of five of the tongs. They literally cut the furniture to pieces, making kindling wood of about $180,000 worth of property. Wherever this squad went, it found arms, ammunition, bowie knives, two, two feet long in blade, iron bars done up in braided cord, and chain and steel armor, the latter being worn under the clothing. One statue was destroyed and had been brought from China and was worth seven or eight thousand dollars. And 
So they're just the prick brigade. Well, the cops, you know, the the papers writing about how the cops just fucking went in and destroyed the place, and yeah. like it's not, <laughs> like like it's like yeah, they went in and just smashed a bunch of shit. Yeah, but but I like obviously this is gonna cost them money, but do, it wouldn't you like at some point be like, should we get them? Should we go? <laughs> Like, I feel like... No, I think what we do, we're cops, we just fuck up their stuff, right? Hey, man, duck down, there's a hammock! Yeah! Yeah! In another, yeah! In another building, there were seven idols. All of these were destroyed, greatly alarming the friendly Chinaman who predicted the lieutenant's death. <laughs> in December 1898, Lieutenant Price adopted a new measure in dealing with the high binders. Two of his officers, armed with cameras, patrolled the streets, and when a well-known high binder appeared, he was stopped and made to stand until his picture could be taken. Hey, ma'am, can we get one of the two of us? That was like in 1898 where they'd be like, hey, hold still for 19 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, one photographer may die on this. <laughs> the the photographs were placed in a book known as the Highbinder Rogue Gallery. Why not the Highbinder Binder? Fucking, he started the mug, mug shop book. Yeah, but still, Highbinder Binder, that's right there. Highbinder Binder is right there. Right there. The Highbinder? Just fucking sitting there. Just call it the high. Hey, look, can you get the Highbinder down for me? What are you looking for? Highbinders. I want to look at my shots in the old high binder after each high binder had his picture taken he was notified that if found in the city after 10 days he would be arrested for vagrancy the hatchet man began leaving the city in large numbers members of the bing on and ping kong tongs migrated to fresno i mean we can admit that that is ping kong bing ping on? kong bong high tong bing on and, and ping kong is pretty bad bing and then you say tong yeah. It sounds like you're rapping in Chinese. Bing Kong Tong. Bing Ong Tong. Dave Anthony's new number one hit. Bing Kong Ong Tong. Very quickly, the new high bind the new high binders killed a local high binder. So they moved into Fresno and then they and they started fighting other high binders. <laughs> they really they're high, unpredictable. The high high binders in Fresno then called on their brothers in San Francisco for help and the police were delighted to be rid of them. So all the high high binders at this point just fucking so high binded it out of there. Really our policy has always been pretty similar, which is just like, get them the fuck out of here. We'll be fine. <laughs> Lift that rug up. Give me that broom. In December 1898, Lieutenant Price uh, uh, put a stop to the free list at the Chinese theaters, forcing highbinders to pay or not dance. Before, all the hatchetmen had to do was present themselves at the door, and they were admitted without paying. Okay. The doorkeepers and managers feared if they, feared if they refused admittance, the yeah. trouble would result. Right? Yeah. So they don't want to say... As would I. But a large portion of the murders occur that occurred in the theater... We're done by the guys on the, on the free list. Look, listen. So they stopped the free list. Listen, yeah. You're going to the... Listen, you're going to... This is a risk you're going to have to take with the high binders. This is no different than when Giuliani stopped the guys from jumping <laughs> fares at the subway. Yeah, yeah. Subways. Yeah. <laughs> in 1901, Lieutenant Price was removed from his rank in the police force and relieved of his duty as squad commander after being accused of corruption. He was removed after secret testimony in a police commission and without a public hearing. The San Francisco public was furious. It was pointed out that during a recent investigation by the Assembly Committee into the relations of the police with Chinese violators of the law, one of the Chinese witnesses swore that a large sum of money was raised by the highbinders for the purpose of getting Price removed because he was so successful in suppressing vice. That evidence, along with the fact that the police commission had removed Price using secret testimony, <laughs> testimony 
led citizens to believe in the existence of a conspiracy supported by Chinese money to procure <laughs> the removal of a police officer solely because he was doing a good job. The chief of police restored Price to the Chinatown beat. Wait, the chief of police did? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. A week or so after being reinstated, high binders claim they were being roughed up. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, what'd you think was good? Fucking yeah. Best. What you also high binders shouldn't be complaining they're being roughed up. You're a fucking yeah, high binder. Yeah, exactly. It's part of the deal. What's happening? You knew the score. You knew what you signed up for. Yeah. My God, you signed up for something that if you didn't do it right, your intestines fall out. Like what are you complaining Yo, about? He pushed me. Um, do you remember your goddamn oath? Well, I'm just saying he gave me a real shove. A thousand thunderstorms are going to strike you, motherfucker. You'll have no goddamn ears. Uh, So a week after uh, he was reinstated, Police Lieutenant Price and his squad raided the headquarters of Hip Sing Tong on Clay Street and drove all the suspected high binders from the place. The Chinese claimed that the policemen wielded their clubs and injured some of the occupants of the rooms. Ah Wong, a fisherman, says he was struck in the back and has since had hemorrhages of both of his lungs. He has been suffering for some time with consumption. Hong Jung and Tong Ah Kwong, who it is alleged were struck on the head, could not be found last night, and their friends say their wounds has, have healed and that they've gone to Alaska. Whoa. <laughs> People. Their friends might be liars, too. But yeah. No, no, no. No, they're in Alaska. They um, said they wanted to crab fish. They said something about, you know, my head hurts. I'm going to go check out some big fish. Let me go to the hardest state to get to for us physically. (laughs) That's why we'll head. Lieutenant Price denies his men use clubs, except for two cases where they met armed highbiners and they had to beat the shit out of him. The Tong Wars of New York. I mean, honestly, Tong Wars of New York could be a Food Network show right now. <laughs> Mock Duck, whose real name was Cy Wing Mock. Why would you? Why would you change it to Mock Duck? Close. Why don't you just be Wing Mock? Yeah. <laughs> fair. Fair question. Fair question. He arrived in the U.S. during the late 1890s, settling in New York's Chinatown. There, he formed the Hip Sing Tong a minor criminal organization. Within a few years, Mock Duck would be known as the greatest warrior of Manhattan's early 20th century Chinatown, and he challenged Tom Lee and the On Leong Tong for control of criminal activities in Chinatown and for the political protection of Tammany Hall. In 1900, Mock Duck demanded half of Lee's revenue from illegal gambling operations. Lee refused. Well, Imagine I'm that. shocked by this. This might cause hey, friction. Hey, I want half. No. No. Oh, okay. I guess we're going to do this. Well, within 48 hours, fuck? within 48 hours, Mock Duck declared a tong war against the Again, Ong Food Network show. Leong's. Hip Sing's men set one of Lee's boarding houses on fire, which resulted in the deaths of two men. In another incident, an Ong Leong man was decapitated. Oi. By two Hipsing hatchet men. One Chinatown historian described Mock Duck in 1904 as, quote, strutting around on Pell Street covered in diamonds. Well, hello, <laughs> fancy pants. Hello. Like, he just bedazzles them. Yeah, listen, there's, I'll tell you what's not illegal, being fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. To be 
that brash yeah. <laughs> about that shit. The big guy is coming through. Uh, excuse me, make way. Shine, shine. Shining all the way down the street. <laughs> shining all the way down it. Shine, shine. <laughs> Mock Duck is firmly in control of the Hipsing, his sinister image bolstered by his long, lethal-looking fingernails, which signal he is too grand to do the dirty work he assigns others. I mean, that's just crazy. That's just crazy. That's also, there's, just... there's more downside to that than up. I mean, yeah, like, yes, we get it. You're not scrubbing floors, but you also can't make your own fucking food. Hey, Larry, I gotta go to the can. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. Little help again? Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I'd cut them, but you know, it, it, I just don't it, do this sort of stuff. If I cut them, then people know that I I go to the bathroom by Dumb myself. Fucker! Mock Duck survived repeated attempts on his life and wore a chainmail vest. He was named by the press "Clay Pigeon of Chinatown" and the "Mayor of Chinatown." During several attempts on his life, Mock Duck reportedly squatted down in the street and fired at his attackers with two handguns, with his eyes closed. Well, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I love that. I love that. On one hand, he made himself smaller. Yeah. But on the other hand, he was like, "I'm just gonna shut my fucking eyes because who gives a it shit?" It is baffling. I mean, if you are like a guy like fighting him, you're like, "What's the deal? His eyes well, I, are closed. Where the fuck gonna, is he? Jesus gonna, Christ! He's not gonna hit me." Yeah. You realize that if your eyes closed, that means that I can see you, <laughs> but you can't see me, right? Fire. You're not. Are you four years old? <laughs> <laughs> Their vision's based on movement. When I close my eyes, they can't see me. <laughs> I'm invisible, you see. <laughs> Shh. They can hear us. Do you want to see me go invisible? Oh. I can. No, my eyes are closed. See. I am God. Stab him. <laughs> but then, I didn't, like, it didn't sound like they were using a lot of guns, so it is nice to hear that now no, they, yeah, they use guns. Yeah, they have yeah. guns. I think they used the... You know, I think they liked to use the blades. Yeah, but it's just when they're here, you know, if yeah. you're in the States, you got to compete. Uh, Mock Duck also broke the rules. The Chinese theater on... Not my Mock Duck. Yeah, Doyer Street was always considered neutral ground. No matter what wars or personal grievances were going on, it was always safe for all Tong men to go to the theater, bury the hatchet, and watch a show. Bury the hatchet? Yeah, so to speak. Is that... Okay. I think I just threw that in there for it's, well it's adorable but anyway so it's like in highlander they could go to a church like, yeah they, this is their place where they don't yeah. fuck with the, it's, all right, it's what i like to call theater night Jimmy. it's called ghoul it's ghoul ghoul yeah like in tag ghoul ghoul's when you know the home base where you could touch something and you couldn't be tagged nope don't know what you're talking about you don't know ghoul uh we called that uh we called that something else we didn't call it ghoul <laughs> I'll tell you in Beckham, okay. my era, it's different. Well, I don't know what you guys... you're like uh, Welsh. In hey. 1905, Mock Duck brought in a man from the Wild West who was a veteran of West Coast Tong Wars, Sing the Scientific Killer Doc. On August the 7th, Mock Duck went to the police station and argued with the precinct captain for locking up some men found gambling in his store. At the exact same time, Sing Doc and other men entered the aisles of the old Chinese theater. Oh, boy. One of the gunmen pressed the glowing end of a cigarette to a fuse attached to firecrackers. The white smoke and sparks hissed from the fuse, and the hatchet men hurled detonating explosives into the crowd. Well, I mean, the firecrackers. The crackling blasts were a signal for the gunmen to open fire. Pulling revolvers from their brown cloaks, the Tong hitmen started pumping bullocks into the designated seating area of the rival On Leong Tong. Bullets ripped through the On Leong's 
Blood splashed to elaborate Chinese murals on the wall. And by the time patrolman John Young entered the empty burning theater, Lee Yuck, Yu Yuck, Ong Sming, and We Yu Sing, all members of the Ong Leung Tong, were dead. After Lee put out a bounty on Mock Duck and the rest of his Tong, Mock Duck formed an alliance with the rival Four Brothers Tong and took advantage of the Reform Crusade by clerk, started by clergyman Charles Parkhurst. Duck posed as a businessman <laughs> and supplied information on the On Leong criminal operations <laughs> to Parkhurst. It's just fantastic what it's your mouth has insane. to do in this. Including addresses, the authorities raided On Leong opium dens, gambling houses, and so forth. However, Mock Duck held back the addresses of the most lucrative Mott Street operations for leverage against Lee. The Warring Tongs signed a truce in 1906, but they were at war again the following year. Mock Duck finally defeated Lee in the Bao Kum Tong War of 1909-1910. I'm familiar. He, <laughs> <laughs> he was arrested several times during the next decade, during which time a number of attempts were made on his life. But he was convicted only once in 1912 for operating a policy game and served two years imprisonment in Sing Sing. In 1932, Mock Duck agreed to an arrangement with the U.S. and Chinese governments to declare a peace among the Tongs of Chinatown and retired to Brooklyn, where he lived until his death in July 1941. Wow. He retired. That's pretty... I mean, that, I like that he's, move. He was all tonged out. Yeah, yeah he was... Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a swan tong. Now, the Tongs also took hold in small California towns. Oh, boy. Uh, the town of Weaverville, California, in the 1850s became home to around 2,000 Chinese after gold was found there. Oh, boy. They generally take up abandoned claims and form little villages, sometimes of 100 persons. They communicate, but little with the towns, owing to the jealousy of American miners who regard them as nuisances and often drive them violently away from any rich diggings they may have happened upon. It is urged that the Chinese are of no benefit, either by industry or trade, to the community, Jealously hoarding every ounce of gold and returning to China with it. Who well, doesn't jealously hoard their gold? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like that's that. It's, it's a, like a, it's unfit. I mean, what the what fuck do you think? You, do? What is the idea when you find gold? Hey, everybody, get over here, grab a piece. <laughs> Holy I gosh! I think you're supposed to take it down to the saloon and fucking buy whiskey and whores. Yeah. Now, what you do is you go to the saloon, they weigh it out, you fuck a whore, you get a whiskey, and you do that for the rest of your life. They buy no American clothing, generally bringing their own stock and living mainly upon rice, which they also bring with them. Those motherfuckers. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. They a bring minute. their own food and, and clothing. clothing. Yeah. Well, how are they? Good? I mean, my God. They, they... won't buy jeans. <laughs> how about a pair of dungarees? Watch Would you song? like a cheeseburger and some jeans? The Chinese divided themselves in Weaverville into two factions known as the Cantons and the Hong Kongs to the whites. There was trouble between the Chinese factions. One or more of the parties would occasionally get some of their men hurt by the opposite faction. Finally, the Hong Kongs killed one of the Cantons' leading men. And it's on. Wait, you mean the Cantons. it's Canton on? <laughs> Another reason for the conflicts were over a gold sluice. In gambling disputes, the Cantons challenged the Hong Kongs to a battle in one month. I like what I like about them is their scheduling seems They're pretty really fair. good, right? Like they give you like a little prep time to sort yeah. of like get your shit together, kind of. They Wanna, want your best. They want your best. You want to do tomorrow? 
No. Oh, no, no, no. No. Let's do like a month. I gotta 30, get 30 to, days. I gotta get my affairs Soak in order. Up some, yeah, have some fun. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do some bench Work presses. Out. I'm gonna live a montage. Uh so the Canton bosses came into a local blacksmith shop, showed the blacksmith a pike pole, and asked how much he would charge to make one hundred out of steel. Hmm, he, that's sa- interesting. he said one dollar and fifty cents each, and they agreed. About an hour later, the boss of the Hong Kongs came into the shop and asked, how much for 100 pikes? He was told $1.50. And he told the blacksmith if he would quit making them for the cantons and he would give, he would give the blacksmith $2 each. Jesus. And the blacksmith said, quote, all right, John. <laughs> a short time later. So there's later, only one blacksmith? Should, no, there's a bunch. So he's this, just... this, is, this is one blacksmith reporting what happened. A short time later, the boss of the Cantons came in and said, "If the blacksmith would quit the Hong Kong's work, he would give me he would give two dollars and a half, and then he would make him three hundred. So, so, so he, now he's up in the price and he's doing three hundred. And the blacksmith said, "All right, John." So he's just agreeing to everything. Yeah. For three weeks, he ran. Uh, the blacksmith did it day and night, making the Chinese weapons of war. He made very heavy spears with three prongs. Others were made something like brush scythes. I don't know what that is. Sure. The tongs would take them away from the shop before they were cold and pay for them. Well, they should have waited. They. <laughs> ow, ow, ow. Jesus. Ow, it, it will ow, cool down, ow, John. Ow, it will cool down, ow, John. Ow. They had every blacksmith shop in the county working on weapons. In the meantime, other uh, Chinese were in the woods cutting poles 14 or 15 feet long, bringing them into town and dressing them up for handles for the instruments they were making. After they got one or 200 armed men on each side, they would frequently drill in the streets. Jesus. Boy, Weaverville has really changed since I was now, here just, just six months ago. Now, just Weaverville's sort of different than it used to be? It feels like there's like a Chinese army here now. It feels like two different factions are training with spears in the road. Am I just crazy? No, I think you're right. Weaverville's sort of gone to shit ever since the Chinese turned it into a civil war. <laughs> Am I crazy? Uh, they employed 15 whites as drill instructors. So they're creating jobs. <laughs> they're, yeah. The blacksmith what's industry this, has never been more popular. Let's all this talk about them not creating jobs yeah. and using their own rice. They're paying guys yeah. to... Uh, the, the, they were, the drill instructors were paid $10 daily along with all the food and whiskey they could drink. Uh, but whenever you put that whiskey why caveat you, into any, yeah, like, why you, that never works. 17, early, like, there was a thing back then. 1700 to 1940. Never worked. It's not a good idea to just be like, all right, well, how about this? We'll pay you this and as much whiskey as you want. <laughs> you're going to end up being like, wait, now, how the fuck are we in the red? <laughs> One tong had the upper end of town on Court Street, and the other tong had the lower end. So there was very little danger of them coming together in town. And the whites gave them to understand that if they got to fighting in the streets and injured a white man, the whites would kill every mother's sons of them on both sides. Yeah. The day was set for the fight. In the meantime, William M. Love, the sheriff of the county, came to the back blacksmiths and forbade them from making any more war instruments or delivering any that they had on hand. Finally, a blacksmith asked what the penalty would be. The sheriff said a fine of $100, a fine of $500. Is that it? Said the blacksmith. Yeah. And when will you enforce it? When the grand jury meets, Sheriff Lowe said, I will have you indicted for sure. 
All right, Mr. Lowe, I can afford to pay $500 and then come out a winner in this game. The blacksmith went on making war weapons. <laughs> he was never indicted. Ugh. The day before the fight, the Cantons made a grand demonstration through Main Street. They turned out about 250 or 300 men, all with a grand display of war. With their dragon banner floating to the breeze, they made a warlock appearance marching down the street. The, the day appointed for the battle arrived, and the town was full of hostile high binders, a complete gathering of the clans. The white miners from all parts of the county came to see the fun. Oh, I mean, that I get. At, at the appointed time, the hostile armies were face, facing each other in battle array, the Hong Kongs being divided into two grand divisions, perhaps 100 yards apart, while the Cantons, a smaller party, maybe of around 150, were in a compact body waiting for the onslaught. Jesus. I would definitely, if I was in this town, be like, let's fucking watch this shit. Yeah, I would probably watch Get on this. a rooftop, bring some sandwiches, get an umbrella, a lawn chair. Well, let's see if you do what they do. Oh, boy. The battleground was full of people. Sheriff Lowe was on the ground trying to summon a posse to stop the fight. He would go up to a man, take his name, and summon him to his take aid. Take his name. The, rep- the reply would be, go to hell, Lowe. We came to see f- the fight, and we're going to see it. The understanding between the whites and Chinese was that there should be no firearms used in the fight, that the fighting was to be done with their own weapons of war. From blacksmith John Carr. It was long after two o'clock and no fight yet. The hostile armies stood facing each other, hallowing all sorts of slang at each other in their own language. Finally, it began to be rumored that there was not going to be a fight, that they were fooling the boys who had come so far to see it. Wait a second. That was more than the honest miners could stand, and they were not going to stand it either. After waiting until patience was exhausted, they started to drive the two armies together and make them fight, whether they wanted to or not. Whoa. So the Chinese were like, yeah, this is just a big show. And then all the white, I believe they're called white devils. All the white devils were like with the guns. No, you're going to fucking fight guns. Yeah, because remember they said that they, yeah, the Chinese couldn't have guns. So all the white guys had fucking guns. (laughs) Jesus. So it's just like when like you go outside and like of a bar and a couple dudes are about to fucking throw down and they sort of actually exchange words and you're like, no! The fuck no! I closed my goddamn cab! That's exactly right. 40 or 50 of the boys got behind each army and commenced throwing rocks and driving them together. In the meantime, another party of whites got between the two divisions of the Hong Kongs and would not let one division take part in the fight. Oh, this this left the big party really the smallest. So they saw that the Hong Kongs had more guys. Make it fair, so so it's really weird. Yeah. When the Cantons saw the turn things had taken in their favor, they charged across the gulch, up the bank, and into the ranks of the Hong Kongs. Jesus. The Hong Kongs stood Jesus. there to their work like men, and as soon as they crossed pikes with each other, it commenced. Uh, then commenced the popping of pistols. Oh. I was standing with a number of others on a large log a short distance from the scene of the fight when the pistols started popping. I turned around to jump off the log so as to get behind it. A Swede was standing on the same log with a six-shooter in his hand, shooting at the combatants indiscriminately just for the fun of it. Oh, my God. (laughs) See, like, at least there was some code of honor to what they were going to do. Yeah, there was a total code of honor. Yeah, but not with us. (laughs) Never. 
before I left the Anything log... Anything that has different eyes. Before I left the log, he fell over with a bullet through his brain. Oh, my God. He never knew what hurt him. The fellow died immediately. He was no doubt shot by a white man close by. Jesus. So he was shooting into the crowd. Another yeah. guy was like, fuck that, and shot him. Yeah, another white dude who was like, you're cheating. Uh, the Hong Kongs withstood the onslaught until they saw their supports cut off by the whites. They then broke and ran. Of course, there were several of them wounded and lying on the field. As the enemy passed them by, each warrior of the cantons would stop and plunge his pike who lay, uh, into the guy who lay fallen. No mercy there. Some of the dead had at least 20 wounds in them. Oh, God. There were several killed on each side, but the Hong Kongs were the heaviest losers. The whites acted unfairly in the matter. They prevented the whites. One, the whites. Yeah, I'm shocked to hear yeah. that. <laughs> they prevented one half of the Hong Kongs from taking part in the fight, which discouraged the rest of them. The Cantons had pistols concealed, and when in close quarters, commenced using them with deadly effect. After the fight, the victorious Cantons marched into town with all the pride and glory of Napoleon's talk, guard. Talk about an asterisk win. <laughs> At the headquarters on Court Street, they had one grand jubilee and all were invited to partake of their hospitality. Brandy and liquors of all kinds flowed free. The town was painted red and it was a grand day for the free whiskey bum. Thus ended the China War for a time in Trinity County. Jesus. One paper reported 10 were killed, including one white man who went in for fun. God, God bless that white man's spirit. The San Francisco Bulletin reported, quote, it was a very bad battle as so few were killed. Oh, that's nice. That's nice that they see it the right way through the <laughs> prism of history. <laughs> Jesus. Both the Weaverville Museum and the local Taoist temple have preserved some of the actual weapons from this battle today. Crude locally produced butterfly swords, tridents, and broadswords are in this collection. These may be some of the earliest documented traditional Chinese weapons in the United States. A plaque marking the site of the battle is located next to Weaverville Elementary School. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Weaverville Elementary School. The Fighting Tongs of Weaverville. Uh, Fong Ching, named Little Pete by San Francisco Press, was born in Kaogong, Canton, China in 1864. He came to San Francisco 10 years later. He attended the Sunday School of Methodist Chinese Mission and learned to speak English language fluently. Two of the largest associations in Chinatown were the Sam Yups and the Si Yups. You can see why they didn't get along. Yeah, I mean, it's so different. Uh, this, I mean... It's Sam so C. different. Okay, gotcha. Uh, there's a big rivalry between them in the past. Pete joined the Sam Yups and became the society's interpreter and conducted all of their business so far as their dealings with Americans were concerned. He was very handsome and always immaculate in appearance, and he had a wife and child. He was he covered in diamonds? He took, well, he took excellent care of his health and indulged in no vices. He had a cunning to rare degree and combined with it the ability to adapt to white conditions. He was extremely ambitious and even when he was receiving just $10 a month while, while employed in a shoe store, he contributed toward the support of his relatives. When Pete had acquired a sufficient knowledge of the shoe business, he borrowed a few hundred dollars and established himself in that business under the name of F.C. Peters and Company to appeal to white customers. He went on to become one of the greatest Tong leaders of all time. In 1909 article where a Turk describes knowing little Pete. <laughs> I wish people could see how much spit just came out of my lip. What I mean, what, I saw a it. Turk? Yeah, 
Okay. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Little Pete was the leading high binder <laughs> of North America. He lived in opulence and luxury in San Francisco's Chinatown, and the only people living on the West Coast of the United States during Little Pete's day who didn't know all about him were inmates of the deaf, dumb, and blind asylums. Okay. The outfit of highbinders, of which Little Pete was the Grand Mogul, was steadily at war with another gang of highbinders who thirsted for Little Pete's gore with parched, consuming thirst. Jesus. I wouldn't use thirst like that, like overlap them like that. It's a strong strong way of putting it. I would not use the second thirst. I would not use thirsted. no. Uh, and the two gangs fit and fought in around San Francisco with ferocity and speed that forced the Chinese undertakers of that town to put in three eight-hour shifts. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. Little Pete marked some important ch- chink individual of the... Sweet. Nice. Cute. ...of the rival highbinder outfit for death, and the rival was found with nary a mark of violence on his deceased person, but with about 50 yards of very fine piano wire beautifully coiled around his neck. Mm. So he killed, he killed him pretty. Sure. I mention this fact in order to contrast it with the comparatively coarse, lumpy executionary work of Little Pete's rival band of highbinders who did all their thinning of Little Pete's ranks with hatchets. Through all this carnage, Little Pete walked as unconcerned as a deacon passing the plate. A thousand hatchets were waiting for him every hour of the day and night. But the dead game, Little Chink, proud, the heedless, unafraid. Love he that. had, yeah, he had 30 wives and, no, sorry. Yeah, no, he had 30 wives and 30 servants in his uh, Chinatown home. Jesus. That's this, a uh, lot of. I mean, it, there's going to be like 10 servants who are like, I mean, should, uh, can I get, can I go? Can I go? Can I get cut? No, we're gonna need you to pick up the thing. There's nobody. Salt. Everybody's picked up the goddamn thing. There's thirty. There's thirty wives. So do we need one. One of you guys for each. But we all we do is pick up one thing a day. Okay, but pick it up, please. Fuck. He was a millionaire, uh, being the backer of about half the Fantan games in town and other games of his breeding. Okay. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of words we don't use anymore because they're horrible. Sound. Like Fantan. As a matter of fact, Little Pete didn't have much time to speculate as to how long the other gangs of highbinders intended to let him live, for he was too busy speculating on the ponies. The Turk described the dinner at Little Pete's house. Quote, at a glance from Little Pete to the head waiter, a whole troop of beautiful Chinese women, primped within an inch of their lives, hobbled in on their shortened little feet. Ugh. They kowtowed first to Little Pete, their husband, and then to Little Pete's guest, after which they tippy-toed to their Well, they had no option of the- <laughs> any other way to walk. I feel like they didn't tippy-toes. Yeah, they didn't tippy. They, they, they heely-heeled. Their whole foot was a tippy-toe yeah, at that they, point. Yeah. Uh, they went to their place at the table and looked demure and picked daintily at their queer-looking Chinese dinner. Boy, you're a great guest. Yeah. You're a... Have one, little Pete asked me. I thought he meant would I have an olive, for he appeared to be looking at the olive dish. Thanks, no, I said. I don't eat them. He looked at me with sort of a grave surprise and asked, will you have a wife or maybe two? Whoa. Then a syrupy smile crept back onto his face, and he waved his hand down the line of little made-up Chinese women silently eating. That came close to knocking me clean off the bench, but I didn't let little Pete see that. I didn't know what he was playing, I didn't know what he was playing along for. But I did know that I didn't require one or two wives just then, Chinese or other. Next time, I said... Next time I'll have one of them wives. Yep. Little Pete's regular payoffs to city officials, particularly Charles A. Buckley, convinced rivals of Little Pete's influence in San Francisco. Little Pete's tongue was so successful that another faction of criminals organized, naming their tongue the Bo Sincere. There was great hostility between the organizations. 
and Pete was constantly outwitting them. It was decided the only way to conquer Pete was to kill him, and Pete, learning of this, immediately employed a Chinese man named Lee Chuck to act as his bodyguard. Lee procured a heavy coat of mail, which weighed 35 pounds, Jeez. shaped like a vest, and a mass of small steel chains. On one occasion, when he was attacked by members of the rival Sui Ontong, Little Pete, wearing steel-reinforced hat... Uh, I mean, I'm, I understand that's crazy, but I feel like he's going to do something with the hat. No, but I know. I just want to stop on steel reinforced hat. It's not bad. It's a helmet, but it's like a hat helmet. His neck, his poor neck. He's got a. He's, he's got, only little. He's got a fedora. A fedora with yeah, steel in it. A metal fedora. <laughs> he managed to fight the men armed with hatchets and cu- clubs, driving them off. And soon, throughout Chinatown, he was considered invincible. On May 28th, Pete's bodyguard, Lee Chuck, met Yen Yun, a high binder of the rival Tong at the corner. Oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. After an exchange of words, <laughs> Lee Chuck pulled a pistol and shot his opponent five times, killing him instantly. Officers pursued Lee Chuck, who shot at them, but the gun jammed and he was disarmed. Shortly after the arrest of Lee Chuck, Little Pete approached Officer Martin and offered him a bribe of $400. If he would perjure himself and give testimony, he was then arrested for bribing an officer, and he spent four years in Folsom. Wow. At Folsom. that point, he was 25 years old, and it was believed he'd killed 25 Tong members. That's fair. One a year. Fair number. Upon his relief, release in September 1890, the police were on the watch in Chinatown and on the lookout for more shooting. They were afraid that Little Pete would take steps to punish some of the Chinese who testified against him. So they followed the members of the Bo Sing Seer Society, and he just continued about his Tong business. Sure. In 1896, he hired a bodyguard who was a white man. Interesting. And on January 23rd, 1897. Sounds like a cable show. Pete and, yeah. Yeah. Pete and the white guy? Pete and the whitey. Pete and his bodyguard went into a Chinese barber shop half a block away from his home. At this point, the high binder war was forgotten, but little Pete was still cautious. Not once in those eight months had he showed himself without an armed man at his, at his side. Little Pete chatted with his body card as the barber lathered his forehead. Uh-oh. That can't be right. Lathered his forehead? Yeah. Well, he lathered his head. As he lathered lay in the face? chair... Maybe it's a, a red really flag. Hairy, you're like, you're going to kill me. Maybe he had a really hairy forehead. Oh, uh, please, take some off the eyebrow. Why are you lathering my eyes? Here we go. Uh, I've got to get my forehead shaved. As he lay in the chair, a newsboy... I'm a werewolf. <laughs> as he lay in the chair, newsboy reached the corner 50 feet away... With the sporting edition of the evening paper. Say, Jim, said little Pete to his bodyguard, just go out there and get the paper, will you? I put a big bet on the last race. The bodyguard went out. Five Uh-oh. seconds later, as he reached the corner, allegedly, Lim Jung and Chu Tin Gop, two Tong assassins, ran down the steps of the barbershop, drew revolvers from the sleeves of their shirts. One grabbed Pete by the hair, and they both shot their guns. Little Pete sank back in the chair with a hole in his forehead while his murderers disappeared. His freshly shorn forehead. Yes. I mean, it looked good. The bodyguard, rushing back with a paper in his hand, found Little Pete dead, and the murderers gone. The, uh, the two assassins returned to China, rich men. Pete's widow collected $50,000 in insurance money. That's nice, at least. On the day of the funeral, they came by the thousands from adjoining towns to pay their last respects, and it was estimated there were at least 30,000 Mongolians in the Chinese headquarters while the services were being conducted. All factions suspended business. So that's good. Yeah, they could agree on that. Day off. The San Francisco earthquake 
on April 18, 1906, killed about 3,000 people, and its subsequent fires destroyed Chinatown and its gambling halls and brothels. This was the beginning of the end for the Warring Tongs, as many of their sources of income never were able to come back. Most Tongs just simply went away with the old Chinatown. In 1925, Cleveland was the nation's largest city, filling with new immigrants. <clears throat> it's 8,800,000 people lived in neighborhoods dotted with speakeasies and gambling joints and protected by bribed cops. Cleveland's safety director, Edwin D. Berry, sent out axe swaths to destroy illegal slot machines. He mm. later joined in liquor raids and fired lazy and crooked policemen. An Irishman with a fleshy face, he was so loud his nickname was Barry the Roarer. In September 1925, Yi Chok, a member of the Cleveland chapter of the Ong Long Tong in New York City, was murdered in his Ontario Street room. Chok lay on his bunk, his head nearly severed from his body. Blood-darkened knives, hammers, and a cleaver littered his tiny attic room. A wooden plank dotted with bloody fingerprints stood against the wall. The Tong Wars had claimed another victim. This This Tong War had gone on a whole year and had circled the country. Faced with the Chinatown murder, Barry wanted to drive the Tongs out of the city and ordered the police chief to arrest every Chinaman in the city of Cleveland. Well, there we go. Got to be safe. Drop the (laughs) atom bomb. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Count the the bodies after. Get every one of them, boys. Every one. That's our 100% method. The cops rushed to Ontario Street, burst into stores and apartments, and hauled away every Chinese. Hey, does that sound like anything? Jesus Christ. They arrested every Chinese person they found. Word spread and hundreds of Clevelanders came to watch the raids. Every few minutes, a shout would go up, They've got another, the Cleveland Times reported. And in a few minutes later, a policeman would come from one of the buildings, dragging a frightened Chinese person to be transferred to the city jail. Photographers from the city's four newspapers climbed fire escapes to shoot the scene. Police filled their wagons and shut down every Chinese business in the city because a guy got killed. Yeah. A Chinese guy, it's time by the for way. Camps. The Chinese are a clannish sort, Barry told the reporter. Oh yeah, they're such a clannish sort. They kind of like their own culture. <laughs> it's really crazy. Unlike what we're doing. Yeah. It's no use questioning them because they can't talk English, but they know who did the killing, and every Chinaman we get our hands on is going to stay in jail until he the slayers are turned up. All right, going to be a while. You're all going to jail. Yeah. Gawkers rushed Ontario Street empty buildings to see secrets of mysterious Chinatown. So now that now every fucking Chinese place is empty, so now everyone's like, let's go in and hey, look around. Hey, let's go there. Room to be filled with hidden passageways <laughs> and opium dens. Oh. But when they went inside, they found none. Uh, it's just, okay. Police, they, and, and they also went and looted the places. Police arrested 612 of the city's 700 Chinese. I mean, the uh, the, the the lucky 88. <laughs> At the Central Police Station that night, cells were packed with restaurant workers, merchants, junior high school boys, laundrymen, and college students. With no room to lie down, they spent the night standing. Others, waiting to be booked, slept on benches in a spare courtroom. All were fingerprinted and photographed, and federal agents interrogated them about their immigration status. It's a, a shame they didn't have one of those mattresses from earlier. A, ju- a judge released them the next day. On Ontario Street, Barry led fire wardens and police through the stores and tea shops. Barry ordered the o- entire Ontario Street Chinatown torn to the ground. 
These buildings will be condemned, he promised. Most of them should have been condemned a long time ago. We'll force out of the country every Chinese who cannot show he was born in the U.S. Yeah. These we're colors th- don't run. We're through trying to make peace. Enough is enough. I mean, we're through trying to make peace. We don't it's get you, great, get out. Great line. Yeah. Barry figured he could do it because anti-immigrant rage was at its peak. The Klan was wildly popular and controlled a voting block in the state legislature. Cool. Congress had borrowed, barred Asian women from entering the country. That's interesting. That's a weird call. Interesting. Because they couldn't because they wouldn't be able to help themselves from fucking them. You exactly. Barry figured this was his time. Outraged Clevelanders protested the mass arrests, and all four newspapers denounced the raids in editorials. 150 Chinese residents issued a manifesto. Quote, men, women, and children, students, teachers, merchants were arrested and treated in a manner worse than that dealt to criminal suspects. They called for Barry to be fired, for city manager William Hopkins to apologize to all Chinese, not part of a tong, for the police to destroy the fingerprints and photos they collected, and for merchants to be compensated for damages to their raided businesses. Yep. Barry and Hopkins refused to apologize. Shocking. After negotiations mediated by the Chamber of Commerce, Hopkins said only that he was sorry college students had been rounded up and claimed 90% of the city's Chinese residents belonged to a tong. <laughs> this sounds like Bill Maher and, and Muslims. Yeah, yeah. Barry insisted he'd had a perfectly sound reason to arrest 612 Chinese to compare all their fingerprints to the bloody marks on the oh, stick. Christ. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> right. That's fair. <laughs> The judges who'd let the prisoners go had kept police from catching the real killer, Barry proclaimed. <laughs> this guy's... Cleveland's Ontario's... This guy's guy just amazing. Cleveland's Ontario Street Chinatown, saved from Barry's condemnation by the landowner's prompt lawsuits, was torn down in 1929 to make room for a post office building. Cleveland never saw another Tong War, and that was the last battle between the On Leong and the Hip Sing in any city. Cleveland's Chinese never got the apology they, de- they demanded, though the police did destroy their fingerprints. Oh, that's sweet. The bloodshed was the, the last. <clears throat> the Chinese historian, a Chinese historian in 1982, quote, by now these organizations have so declined in authority that they serve little purpose other than the preservation of Chinese culture. Most of their earlier service functions have taken over by the American social security system, the civil rights movement, and of course, the white schools that are attended now by Chinese children. Although New York's On Leong Tong was charged with murder and racketeering activity in the 1990s. Interesting. So we had a dormant Tong? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> kind of like the June bug, a sleepy uh, Tong. Have you heard the song, Where Did My Tong Go? Where my Tong at? <laughs> I've heard the Tong song. How about that shit? It's normal. <laughs> it's totally normal. I love that in California, in a tiny little city, there was just war. Yeah, I guess what do you compare it to now? I guess you just kind of compare it to the gang violence, right? It's, but it's not even... I mean, the gang violence, yeah, but the, the just the outright 150 guys against 150 guys on a field. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Happening. Maybe in the movie The Wanderers, but it's not happening yeah, anywhere else. No, no. It's completely insane. Yeah. And yet I want to travel back in time and watch it. Well, I would say, I mean, it would be very entertaining to be yeah. like in a, you know, <clears throat> if you're in Weaverville. Yeah, Weaverville. It's not good. No. Yeah. But if you're like in like two communities over, you'd be like, let's no, go down to Weaverville. Yeah, let's go check out the fight. Watch the shit show down in Weaverville. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, girl. Now um, you know. Yeah, finally. Tong Wars. Now I know about the Tong Wars, which, by the way, I just, since we've been doing this podcast, I just sold Tong Wars to the Food Network. <laughs> um, Already? Yeah. Wow. And it, I, we've already aired. That, oh, congratulations. Yeah, the ratings are bad. Oh. Yeah. That's so, so weird. Sorry. Is it just Chinese guys killing each other? or is it's, it... it's basically what it is, is it's like two Chinese chefs compete, uh-huh. uh, you know, with a secret ingredient, uh-huh. and whichever one loses, the winner gets to kill him. Oh, fair. I would yeah. watch that. I would totally watch yeah, that. Yeah. It's great. It sounds I good. I mean, the crew is amazing. It's, <laughs> it's phenomenal. Real melting pot, too. All right. Bye, Dave. Bye. <laughs> oh hey there everybody it's gareth you know from this uh this podcast uh listen i've got some stand-up shows i'm inviting the garmy the gareth army to join me for i will be in fort collins colorado august 18th and august 19th i will be in minneapolis minnesota august 24th through august 26th at acme I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow September 13th, London September 15th, Dublin September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham September 20th, Bristol September 22nd, and Cardiff September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th, Adelaide November 16th, Canberra, November 17th, Brisbane, November 18th, and then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, this same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. 